listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host. The guest on this episode is Janelle Stone. Janelle is currently working as an associate in training at an organization called Orton Gillingham. Orton Gillingham is a proponent of a multi-sensory approach to teaching literacy for everyone. But it seems like a major focus of their work is on kids with dyslexia, which is one of the reasons why I asked Janelle to be a guest. Yes, it's another education episode, but it's not all booing and naysaying. I asked Janelle to be a guest not only because of her knowledge as a subject that I'm interested in, but also because she started doing this recently after a long career in the fashion world. It's a giant pivot, and we had fun talking about both her old and her new jobs, as well as a few other things. I'm going to keep this intro short and let the episode speak for itself. Please let me know your thoughts via email or through the appropriate social channels, all of which can be found in the show notes. Do you read the show notes? They're also on feelfreetodeviate.com. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Janelle Stone. Why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Hi, I'm Janelle Stone, and currently I'm an associate in training for Orton Gillingham at the Orton Gillingham Academy. And our goal is really to help people of all ages, actually, with dyslexia, learn how to read with fluency and automaticity. So it's not just the idea that you're seeing something and you can sound it out. It's like it's jumping off the page into your head and you know what to do with it. There's a whole huge science behind it. It's really an interesting story that I can get into, but it really is based in science. And our goal is to teach in a way that helps build new roots in your brain. So some people can automatically have these, you know, roots or they have their orthographic mapping and they have things that automatically do this process. No one is a born reader as a human. You do have to learn, but there are people that we call typical readers and the information kind of flows in the right way yeah. to get there. That's me, and, by the way. You're a typical reader. I am. Like it, I never had any difficulty with it at all. And me neither. <laughs> and, and now, but now, and now I have two daughters, and one of them is like me, and one of them has dyslexia. Yeah. So it's super interesting because it's not something that I ever thought about or even entertained the idea of before. But to see it in front of yeah. you is kind of crazy. It's really, it's really crazy. So. The cool thing is when you first start taking classes in Orton Gillingham, you know, they do all these little things with you to kind of show how a dyslexic's brain might work or how they might see things on a page or kind of what the difference is. So you really kind of get an idea of what we're working in. This is not something that you apply yourself more or, you know, your teacher's like, we have to get to recess. And I have to say for classroom teachers who you know, who have to teach 29 kids all to do something. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that, you know, even 27 of them might make it is pretty impressive. It really um, is. I, I can't imagine doing that. I can't even imagine I, committing to I that. I can't. <laughs> it is really, it really blows your mind. You know, this isn't my background. I went to school for fashion design and I Enjoyed a pretty exciting career in fashion for about 20 years until I decided to do this. 
Yeah, there are two reasons why I asked you to be on, and that's because of the major pivot, but also because I I have a self-serving interest in dyslexia. Yeah, and I definitely can help a little bit with that, but I also will probably put you in touch with my sister, who is a fellow of Orton Gillingham, and there's like a hundred of them in the world that exist. She's done so much work. You know, she's at the top, top of the field. And I think her, you know, dissertation to get her fellowship was an 800 page paper on brains. That's crazy. It, it's really just kind of working for her made me have a whole new respect for what she did because she was getting her master's in regular class teaching while she was doing this. And she would have 10 students that she was teaching in Orton Gillingham at the same time. So I have to say, I'm going to say that's because she was in her 20s. Yeah, no, for real. (laughs) Not trying to do it at 45 because I don't know that I'll ever be a fellow. I am definitely would love to try for it, but I'm super into just the teaching one-on-one. So at best level, she can teach anyone with any type of learning disability, but she also can teach teachers. Oh, that's nice. And yeah, so she trains everyone and she's my trainer. Until you get to a certain point, you have to work under uh, Beth, my sister. It's really great because she is a partner who's one level below her. And I work with both of them. and They've given me a lot of feedback. So I've been able to kind of not really jump ahead because you have to put in the work. I am just learning how to manage my little kiddos and teach versus be a fashion <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know how you make a connection between those two things. I, I don't either, but Do I you... like it. <laughs> <laughs> In fashion, I, I did have a job where I kind of taught people how to do things. And oftentimes people would say like, oh, my God, you should be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and I would always say, all right, well, if I get laid off, really, or like this gets to be too much, which fashion very quickly can. I always said I was going to work with my sister and everyone was like, you should do it. You should do it. You know, it'll be amazing. Finally, COVID came and I lost my job and uh, I was like, there it is. I, and it's so funny, Jim, because right before that I had worked at Brooks Brothers for a very long time and it was my favorite job. My funnest job, probably working for Sean John Puff Daddy. When? My, like in the day, back in the day? Oh, I was back in the day. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Let me tell you for like this chick from Winstead, who people often say is the whitest white girl they know, although I would disagree. <laughs> who, you? Um, yeah. <laughs> for, all right. First of all, even just <laughs> thinking about up. people from Winstead, I would you wouldn't even be on my list of the whitest white people I know. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> It's pretty rough. So yeah, so I mean, people would always tease me, you know, and the guys, his bodyguards would always call me like Ricky Lake. And um, <laughs> and they're like, what? It's a compliment. I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, I mean, you know, she's pretty and everything. <laughs> but it was just, it was a, it, that was a crazy job. I interviewed for, kind of, to help out. I think it was like over Christmas break. And I ended up taking almost control of, I mean, of course I had lots of people above me, but of the fabric, whole fabric area there. And it was such a crazy two years. It was, you know, fashion show time. We'd work seven days a week. You'd be in the office. And a lot of fashion is like this. You're in the office before a big presentation, maybe till like three or four in the morning. And then you have to come back at seven to set up. Yeah. Um, and this is to sell someone clothes, you know, uh-huh. yeah, no, for real. But <laughs> like how, how, how do you get to how do you become in charge of all this stuff? Because I, I'm I 
I, I don't know. Someone went away. First. <laughs> and, and then they're just like, you, you do it. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about, I went to Mass Art and there was yeah. this one guy there who was kind of a hot shot and everyone was all excited about his career going forward. He went to New York and he ended up working for this place and that place, all these places that everybody heard of. And, right. Yeah. And from what I understand, it's kind of, it's just like a all these people who are hot shots go there and they are basically treated like interns and they're squeezed yeah. dry. Yeah, until you're like a husk on the side of the road. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then discarded. So but but you you managed to get some responsibility. Yeah, I don't know like I- Jim, I have to say, you know, my luck is like, I'll tell you a little story about something that happened at Sean John. Okay. So I get a call and we have these shirts and they're all sorts of different plaids and our sales guy wants to see them. He's in a different office. So I'm, you know, picking up the shirts and I'm walking them across New York and I get into the <laughs> office and my friend Quentin is there and he's styling like a shoe and it's uh, Tyson Beckford and he walks up to me and he's like in his underwear. Yeah. And yeah. So my friend Quentin's like, this is Janelle. She's like a huge fan. And, you know, she's like a designer and whatever. And then he's like, just kidding. I don't know if she's a fan or what she is. And then <laughs> she's alive. And Ty- <laughs> I'm here. And Tyson Beckford's like, it's okay. He's like, something about being hot. And I was like, yay. I'm like, that's such a win for chubby girls. And like, literally, I walk outside of the office for like, you know, five minutes later after I show the shirts and whatever. And a bird like poops on my head. Yeah. So that's my luck. You know, everyone says that that's supposed to be good luck. It never feels like good luck when it happens. I don't know. I don't know about it. (laughs) So my luck has always been like, really cool things can happen. But I, you got to stay humble because there's that backlash that's going to come. So where else did you work though? If you you worked at Sean okay. John and then then Brooks Brothers, Brooks Brothers is like crazy town. Like yeah, is Sean so John. Brooks, does, first of all, does Sean John still exist? Even I don't think so. I think he might license some stuff out at Macy's, and I don't even know. Oh, like the name, but yeah. um, but when I worked there, it was amazing. It was an amazing team of designers who've all kind of gone off to do their own thing. And we had such great camaraderie and we were kind of in it to win it at the time, Uh but it was really soul sucking at the end of the day. A lot of, it's a lot for clothes again, because at the end of the day, you're still thinking like, (laughs) wait a second, so I'm doing this for not too much, you know, social purpose or good feeling. Although it is nice to see them in a store and be like, oh, my God, that doesn't look as horrible as what's going to. That's, that's a good criteria. That doesn't <laughs> look know, as I mean, horrible. Yay, that came together. And, you know, because, you know, you haven't paid the mills or they're holding something hostage because you didn't pay, pay this bill or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot in fashion that happens. Things are shutting down. You're over your quote. And there's like a million, million things that can go wrong. So you're happy when it gets back to you. And yeah, so. Brooks Brothers was another amazing thing because I was about to come home to Connecticut and be a speech and language pathologist. And I was like literally about to call the vans and get all my stuff. And I got this call from Brooks Brothers. And it's crazy because I just randomly sent in a resume one day and I didn't even think about it again. And so I go in and I meet them and the job they were hiring for was way above my pay grade. Mm Don't tell them. <laughs> I know. Well, I did. And so <laughs> <Okay>. I, 
Because that's another thing is I'm unfortunately honest. So if you like that type of thing in a person, you're going to do well with me. But um, so I had like the guy interviewing me was like this British guy. And I do well with British people. They think I'm funny for some reason. But, you know, I charmed him or whatever. Who knows? And he was just like, well, I can try to do this. <laughs> but I just want you to know, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And he's like, that's so great that you said that. And then he's on the phone, human resources. And he was like, she's so mature. She just said like, oh my God, she didn't think, you know, whatever. So this whole hullabaloo happens. And he's like, okay, so obviously you can't do this job, but we're going to make a job for you. And I was like, what? Yeah, I'm just going to make a job for you. It's cool. I'll call you, you know, in a couple of days. And it actually happened. That is excellent. That's, so that's amazing. It's again, one of those beautiful things that happen. Just and being yourself. Worked- yeah, I yeah, I guess. <laughs> you hear that, everybody? <laughs> yeah, go in kind of as yourself, but, you know, yourself that can get there on time and do oh, yeah, those right. kind of things. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So I worked there for seven years, and it was the best. I got to travel to Milan. I got to travel all over the country. I worked with this guy from Britain. His name is Derek McKelvey, and he is this famous chemist guy who... I, he he's a fixer and he does all this stuff. And I, I don't know what that means. What is a fixer? He can kind of tell people what's wrong. He's been in the business for so long. He's a chemist. He has a huge science background, a huge textile background. So a lot of times if someone is having trouble with the weight of something or the color of something, they can call him and he can kind of figure out how to work with the mill to get them to do what is needed. Okay. He's really brilliant and older, and he always said, like, if I was younger, I would kind of take to task a lot of the chemical stuff that's happening in the industry and kind of sometimes, I guess, what people focus on in terms of sustainability isn't necessarily the right thing, kind of just leading people to a happier place with you might be cutting out chemicals here but what are you doing to the carbon footprint you might be cutting down on water usage here but you're using chemicals to achieve that oh, um, okay. so in fashion especially with fast fashion and i have to say for on both sides of these careers that i'm done and i'm doing i highly suggest people look into like the science every career has a science type of job that goes with it you know for fashion you could be you know a textile maker you could be a dye chemist you could do all sorts of things find out new ways to make fashion that isn't going to sit in a pit right and for you know the orton gillingham side just you know it's actually a school psychologist that would give at least in, in the states would give the diagnosis of dyslexia I think that there's just so much interesting stuff that starting out in a career, you might not know. So I I highly urge people who are like middle brained to look further and see, you know, what else you can do because you get laid off if you're the creator. (laughs) Right, right. So the, at least the partial motivation was being laid off, but you were already, you were already doing this. Well, I thought that my daughter was actually dyslexic. She took forever to pick her hand, which is a big thing, left-handed for dyslexias. And there's a correlation between left-handed kiddos and dyslexia. She did her B and D reversals, which is another thing, which is typically normal until about the age of eight. 
Okay. And if kiddos keep doing that after eight, that's a sign. So she had a lot of like hallmarks and she didn't like to read. And a lot of times people say, Kids don't like to do it because they're not good at it, right? That, yeah. Or they're having trouble with it. Yeah. Is that true? That is that is kind of true. Because that's been my observation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. They, yeah. You know, I was such a reader um, and I still read ev- everything I can get my hands on about kind of everything. I love to learn more about, you know, the Orton Gillingham stuff. I'm doing all sorts of stuff in the fashion world, just everything. And to me, it does. It just leaps off the page and I can think about it. And the fact that there's people that doesn't happen for kind of sad, you know? Well, I agree. I But my kid has been, she went to a couple of, what are the, logopedists. I don't know what that would be in English. I guess a speech mm-hmm. therapist, which, okay, yep. I mean, she teaches speech therapy, but also uh, dyslexia stuff. She went to two different, two different women. And okay. It has definitely helped. We just got the standardized tests and you see the, we looked at the mm-hmm. bar and you can see how her, uh, her reading comprehension scores are now super high, whereas they nice. were super low before. And then there's this other thing called, what do they call it? Technical reading, which mm-hmm. is not even reading. It's, I asked her to describe to me what the test was like. She said that you have two minutes and then they just show you words. And and, she, yeah. and her scores on that are abysmal. But oh, no. They're really, really bad because I feel like a lot of kids would probably have that. But especially yeah. if you have dyslexia, it's, yeah, it's this, the, the pre, not only the pressure, yeah, the but, pressure, but also just the fact that you might see your B's and D's backwards. Or um, Anyway, right. so the things that she's been doing have been helping. I, I, I don't. Yeah recognize the name that you're saying but i'm curious if it's if it's something similar as far as i know there's not a name associated with it but she does she does all kinds of different exercises and she does this uh thing with colored blocks yep working out syllables and stuff like that and the different sounds with the syllables yep is that part of your thing yeah so the cool thing about orton gillingham um is it's like diagnostic and prescriptive and it's not a manual that you go through and you get your kid through you have to do the lesson kind of from scratch at each time based on how fast your kid's moving so how we do it is we try to get a 90 percent fluency and that means no sounding out no prompts from the teacher yep they can read it. For spelling, it's usually a little lower, like 85%. <laughs> spelling is pretty bad, as far as I could tell. The spelling it's, is it's, rough. it's a lot better. It's a lot better. It's a lot better. Especially yeah. her English spelling is bad. That's okay. Yeah. Dutch is pretty much her first language. Yeah, that's great. So what we do is the lessons are kind of broken down into different categories. And it really depends where your student is, what you can do. So usually if I have a kiddo who doesn't quite have the full alphabet yet, we'll do that. And there's all sorts of little activities you can do. Having them, you know, put the alphabet on the alphabet rainbow and giving them a few letters here and there. And then they fill the rest in or showing them pages where there's letters missing and they have to tell you what they are. And then as your student gets more advanced, if they're in upper grades by that point, you can help them with like alphabetizing. And and then we go into a really deep dive with letter sounds. I'll show cards based on what we're working on. Mm-hmm. And they'll have to see the symbol and say the sound. And then we do kind of a backwards version of that where I say the sound and they give me all the symbols 
aka letters that can make those sounds. Oh, nice. And then we do something called ear puzzles, which is they don't write anything. They're not reading anything. I'm just saying like, take the word cat, say it again, changing the k to a p. And it gets kind of crazy, the things that you do. Like you take a a whole blend out of a word. What does that say? Or what you hear in this word that you don't hear. So it's really getting them back to that phonics, which a lot of U.S. schools kind of stop teaching for a really long time. They kind of walked away from spelling. They walked away from phonics. They got into more of a whole word type of reading. I teach a kiddo in Oakland, California by Zoom. And the public school system there got really called out for using it. What they say is if you, you know, read it, if you don't know the word, try to get it from the context. Try to look at the picture in the book. And some teachers would say, what are they, you know, what's happening on this page? And it would be like, oh, Mary's feeding her dog a biscuit. But it said something totally different. Okay. (laughs) Clearly, that's not quite the answer you know and there's a lot of people for phonics and a lot of people against it i know that's how i learned how to read i didn't join you guys in school till about fifth grade but my school was heavy on phonics i honestly Um, don't remember yeah so we really learned the sounds of things yeah when i was a kid i remember i had a blackboard and i remember like my grandmother like you just said cat like she would write Mm -hmm. cat and then it's just like what else can you make with at and That's then we fun. then we would just like write bat sad uh-huh. rat and like go down the list and i but i remember yeah. just doing that for fun when we but when we this is much before school so it was uh it was just something we did back in the day yeah i mean my mom used to flash card us to death yeah so it's kind of like <laughs> is it a memory thing or well, like partially you know? yeah because the yeah. recall i mean instant recall is the the, yes. the desired goal right Yeah. Well, yes. So some of it is memory, but a lot of it is that kind of memory of the sound so that if you are approached, if you're approached by a word, um, if you read, (laughs) I hope not, but if you read something that you don't know, you have the tools to sound it out. Right. But the goal is not to have to. Right. Because you're going to hopefully learn all the rules. So, you know, we take it really slow. You start with your short vowel sounds three letter closed syllable words you can go up to you know however long your kiddo is going to be with you one of my teachers had a student that was 60 something who said all the pretty girls used to do his homework but he thought it was finally time to learn how to read um (laughs) sounds sounds like a hard life (laughs) i know right you're you're 60 dude clearly it worked out for you well Um, this has nothing to do with this but i i just want to say that reminds me of this i saw uh i think it was a jamie oliver cooking show where uh he was teaching people from scratch how to cook so it was like a bunch of young mothers and yep. then the, and then there was one old guy and this this old guy he was like in his 60s maybe 70 the dude was old and he said he'd never even cooked an egg in his life oh my God. how can you how can you be a 70 year old man and never cook an egg i know how did you survive i i guess he just had hot chicks cooking him eggs his whole life yeah his whole life well <laughs> lucky you buddy <laughs> yeah so i started taking the classes and i was just like oh my god this is amazing because I would see these IEPs that would come in and, and look at the scores of what these kiddos were reading. And at the end of it would be like, we're not going to hold them back because this isn't a pivotal year. And I get that. No one wants to be held back. But 
you're in a pretty substantial grade and you're reading at a pre-K level, it's kind of cause for concern. So I think there's, it's a lot of it is money with the schools having to give services, especially if they have to call in someone from outside or actually place a child outside of the school for not everyone, you know, has the resources. Right. That's interesting that you say that because it makes me wonder, where are your students from? What's the class situation here? Because I'm wondering how many rich people you're teaching. I would say probably all of them are probably upper middle class. Yeah, because they can afford Um, it. Or they are kids who are homeschooled, um, whose parents are fine teaching them a lot of it, but but they then come up against this kind of roadblock. It's a whole nother chart. It's a whole nother challenge. And then I've heard it being used for things like kids in private schools, super upper class, who need to be grade levels ahead of everyone else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do that, too. I mean, but the crazy thing is, you know, my daughter is still going to school in New York and she got into the gifted and talented program. And even at that level, I mean, this is a, a class that preschool to, I think it stops when you're in kindergarten. It might be first grade. They changed it since, but before it used to be like, you had this certain amount of years to take this test. And if you tested, you would get this kind of amazing free education nice. through public school. But there was people of course that were paying for tutors for their kids so, I mean, this is a test that they just walk in and like look at some, you know, word puzzles, like I just said, and mm-hmm. do things like that. So we were like, okay, Avery, you're going to go play some games, you know? Me and my then partner talked about it and we decided we didn't really want to give her too much of a leg up because we wanted to make sure that she would be able to handle these classes because I have heard of some people being told like, your kid's just normal. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so she, she got in thankfully and is doing well. I still, you know, I, I think the extra reading work that we did together probably helped. I would just like type out crazy words on the thing and we would just go through and like sound every sound in the word, even if it wasn't a real word. And I tried to make kind of stuff fun. So she would do it so we could get more of an idea of if it was dyslexia or it was something else but she was lucky and she got into that program but my saying is one of the you know critiques of that program are that kids whose parents could be affording to get them to a private school are instead paying for tutors to take this test so they can get it for free oh that's i mean that's that's what you call a life hack. So that's it's abuse of the yeah. system. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were just so excited because, you know, we had a really good neighborhood school and we literally can touch it from our apartment, but oh, we're not zoned for it. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if you live on the other side of the street until this number, you can go to this school. So that was kind of a, a huge bummer. So we had to figure out like what were our next steps. And it was certainly not affording in a private school, right. um, but we were lucky to find this thing. But yeah, so I would say to your point, yes, it is an expense. And I kind of thought about, because it was interesting, there were some people in our classes that were like ESL teachers. And I was like, how cool would that be if you could catch someone coming in, learning this language, knowing they're dyslexic, you know, dyslexic and being able to help them at that point? Mm-hmm. 
Um, how do you get paid for that? Is the school system willing to pay for that? They should be. I, I can tell you that in Ruby's class, there are, I, I, I don't know, I'm going to say 12 12 of the kids in her class have been diagnosed officially with dyslexia. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and it, and I don't know what the numbers are. It might actually be 15. I feel like it was 12 and then a couple more popped in there. The city, or the, I don't know if it's the city or the national government that funds it, but ma- most of the money does go to more at-risk schools. That's great. Which is great. And and the and the other good thing is I, I like I mentioned that uh, Ruby did go to these therapists, mm-hmm. and it is up to a certain point is covered by health insurance. So oh, that's so nice. And and we all we have health insurance because that's great because everybody does here. <laughs> oh, you you guys are very lucky. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not free, but it's it's uh it's it's affordable. So yeah, there are systems in place. It it would be nice if it were in the school because then. Yeah. I wouldn't have to bring the kids there, but the fact that I can do it and there, I went to two different places already and they're both relatively close to my house is fantastic. Yeah, that's nice. That's the good thing about us too, is, you know, we try to take in people in our area. Some people have these beautiful rooms in their house that are just their school rooms. I am not there yet. I I teach at a library. (laughs) I don't have my, my, uh, Connecticut schoolroom yet, but someday that's the, that's the dream. There are school systems that do use Orton Gillingham people that come in. I know that the mayor of New York City just said that he has a big push for a lot of teachers and a lot of actual school teachers and special ed teachers have been taking the course recently so that they can use they can use all that information to teach their kids, which is great. So it does seem to be like there's a little bit more of um, a call again to go back to things like phonics, to really pay attention to these kids that are falling through the cracks, which I hope does happen, and for schools to hopefully change the curriculum a little bit. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just so crazy that spelling for my daughter disappeared in like second grade, I think. What is there in its place? I, I don't even, I can't even imagine not having a spelling I, test every Friday. I know, right? kids who still do have spelling tests like the words are all over the place they have all different rules and you know i remember spelling tests that were just like rat bat whatever and (laughs) things kind of seem similar you know um but i look at some of my kiddos spelling tests and like whoa all those words have different rules so you would have to know all of them to be able to spell them right further than that is what i kind of i think i put in my quote in LinkedIn or whatever was that, you know, children or people can't read to learn until they know how to read. So your child who isn't reading at grade level, what else is he missing? There's a lot of other classes and just reading where you have to read to get the knowledge that you need. Right, exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that these, these, these uh, therapists were saying to us is that a lot of the kids that have dyslexia are diagnosed very late because they've been working on their own method of coping yes. with it for so long yes. in one in one day it just catches up to you like with yes. with, with our daughter it, she was doing great she was doing great and then all of a sudden her 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 standardized test numbers were horrible and everyone was freaking out they're like oh what what's going on and and okay. that's what happened <laughs> well yeah the thing about dyslexic the other thing there's so much to talk about on the subject but is they're very intelligent generally. They have a huge speaking vocabulary. Mm -hmm. 
They have all sorts of things that make them very quick at realizing things. They're able to store a lot of stuff in their brain. Because they have to. (laughs) Because they have to. And that is their tactic, right? It's not till sometimes people find it easy up till like the fourth and fifth grade where a lot of the Latin starts coming into the language hmm. where actual pieces of the words mean things. Right, right, um, right, right. A lot of scientific terms and a lot of, you know, stuff that you're going to be reading in all your school books at that level. And while they could do a quick, short Anglo-Saxon word and remember it and maybe remember some rules about how to make the tenses and stuff, when you get up to that level you're saturated, right. you're oversaturated. So if you don't have those connections already in paths made there, then then you're tasked again to memorize all that stuff. So that's why you uh, many times see a dyslexic when they're reading, it actually kind of looks physically painful. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is because they're, they're meeting their memory. They're pulling things, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, to try to get this all to kind of make sense and come together that's why i find like i said sometimes my students will get snippy because they are very quick and i'll be teaching them things and maybe they'll recognize some patterns that are coming out and they'll try to outsmart me (laughs) right right (laughs) and they're like that's what you're going to ask me next and they'll say i can close my eyes and tell me what you know tell you what (laughs) word you're going to do next miss janelle i'm like okay (laughs) um But that's kind of, I guess, the joy of teaching them, too. I mean, it's just like they're so ready to learn and they're so interested. And again, they have that vocabulary. So you think they've been reading forever. Right. So to kind of, you know, be able to see them start to kind of get it and feel confident. That's another thing about the Orton Gillingham. Our lessons are like 80 percent review. So it builds a really nice kind of emotional feeling about a lesson you're going to come in and there is stuff that you're going to know and then there's about 20 percent new each lesson okay moving as quickly as a student can or as slowly as they need to like i said you look in a workbook and it's like we're going to do all the a today and then we're going to move on to i tomorrow we never move on to i until our student says to us by reading the i got it and you know you can see that so I'm playing catch up in terms of being a teacher, (laughs) Hmm. not teaching adults things to do with fabric or ways to use the new computer system. You know, this is (laughs) who, and they're just as excited as kids. Let me tell you to learn something new during summer vacation or whenever, but yeah, it's just, it's so rewarding. I kind of wish I knew about it in my twenties, but I'm glad I did fashion as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty fun thing to do during your 20s. For all you know, if you were doing it back then, you might... I might not get it, right? Yeah, you might not get it. You might not have the, the patience to, to to deal with it. And you also yeah. might have gotten burned out on it really quickly. And then, then where would you be? Then you wouldn't, yeah, have, any, then you wouldn't have any Sean John stories. And, <laughs> and you'd just be burned out on teaching. <laughs> I know, I'd be one of those... Sa- I know, I just... Yeah. Oh, teachers should deserve so much. You know, they deserve so much more than we give them, I think, sometimes. So, yeah, you know, no, I, I feel teacher. the way for the most part. I mean, obviously, not all teachers are rock stars. Not all teachers are, yeah. deserve high fives all the time. But I, I think it's an under underappreciated profession. Yeah, I, 
I just, you know, can you imagine coming into that room of like <laughs> I teenagers? I, I mean, any, any age kids can be real. Fun. I really cannot. But, uh, <laughs> it's kind of terrifying. So this is good that it's more of a one-on-one thing and you can kind of develop little things that your kids like. So you can teach them with things that they like. And another good thing about, you know, for dyslexia gym is... In Orton Gillingham, we try to do everything visual, kinesthetic. There's like, there should be as many senses as you can involve at one time. It just helps build these pathways in your brain. So so we always say, if you're writing, you're saying it out loud. So when you go to spell, I always, because my kids hate to talk out loud, you know, and I get it. But if you sound it out to yourself before you're spelling it, I'm like, you're giving yourself the answer. And they were like, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, for real. (laughs) So you have to come, you know, you have to like, you know, make it seem fun and worthwhile. And I'm like, I promise I would make you do these things if, you know, it wasn't. But yeah, it it really does help, though. Yeah. That's we, 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 we read out loud a lot and it's painful to listen to sometimes. Yeah especially this time of year, just before a school vacation or something, the kids get super burned out. And yeah. then well, one of our daughters has to do physical therapy and one of our daughters has to do these 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 exercises for, yeah. for reading and stuff. And of course, th- neither of them wants to do it. Like this time of year, there are like a million birthday parties. There are a million school activities. Yeah. And w- school is st- still going here. It goes till July 8th. Yeah, every, everyone's crazy busy. And then there's like, oh, the, we got to do the teacher party. And then we got to do the class picnic. And then we got to do the thing and the this field yeah. trip and that field trip. And then, oh, we got to go to physical therapy. Oh, we've got to do the locopedie. We got to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just constant. And then you just, you know, every night you ask them yeah. to do something and they're just like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I know. Never. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. And another thing that you can do, Jen, also is the kinesthetic tactile part is a lot of times when we introduce something new, we'll do it on some like bumpy in sand. Uh-huh. Or one of my teachers really likes kids to always be using a pen when they write. So instead of having them trace something in sand or make it in clay, she gets screens. And I, I've gotten some like placemats on Amazon that are like laser cut. So it's a very bumpy surface and I'll have my kids write their words, write their letters. So they're feeling the letter, they're saying the letter, mm. they're seeing the letter. Nice. They're hearing it come back to them. So again, you're making all those pathways and all those parts of the brain connect that would connect in a typical reader, but aren't connecting in your dyslexic reader. Awesome. So that's the great thing is our brains are pretty pretty pliable especially up to certain ages and you can make these pathways right yeah i'm pretty sure that there are no more pathways in my brain but these kids are pretty flexible (laughs) yeah so jim last time okay i was listening to your podcast with mike and shane yeah and there were some jobs coming up and yeah what's going on in your (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) i was (laughs) i was just offered a job and there's still a small chance that it's going to happen. But okay. But because I live here, they are only willing to pay me a certain way. And gotcha. I have been talking to the IRS and the, the, the Dutch tax authorities, and I have found a way where it's legally possible and then <laughs> possible to work for them. But the last time I spoke with them, they were they basically said, yeah, but our payroll system won't do that. Oh. 
and God, of course seriously yeah it's brutal i'm really really bummed out oh, <laughs> and i didn't want to is... talk about it but... i'm sorry <laughs> no, it's all right it's all right it's all right i just feel like a whiner no. it's, uh, it's it's tough it's it not the tough. greatest time ever it's not the best it is situation a really rough time but they, they like they actually offered me the job and then later that day they emailed me that emailed me saying oh wait uh this I, I don't know that we can do this and then then we had another meeting with HR the next day discussing all the possibilities. Then I took like, I, I, I'm not going to say I worked 40 hours, but I took a week, maybe right. spent a lot of hours on the phone with the IRS, which believe it or not, was actually a good experience. I could not believe it. They were so helpful. It was crazy. Um, wow. <laughs> the, 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 the woman that I spoke with was I'm going to say the best support person I've ever come in contact with. And, and, I, ha is... and I have a vast amount of ex support experience. <laughs> so well, that's good. Yeah. Alas, it, um, it doesn't seem, uh, yeah, there's still a small chance. Like she, the, the woman from the company said that she was going to call them and blah, 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 blah. But it, as far as we can tell, the system that they're using is fairly inflexible, if I were a Dutch person or another Euro another type of European, I would be able to do it. They have it set up so people can work remotely from Europe if they are European. But because I'm a, an American citizen, therein lies the problem. Ugh. And now in Europe, they don't let you become a citizen, right? They could, but it still wouldn't matter. I would need to, I would, if, if. Tech, technically, I could become a citizen here. I believe okay. it's they don't want you to, but I, I, I believe right. it's possible. Yeah. I've done all their tests and stuff, so I'm like in the system. I'm I'm the guy. But yeah. <laughs> but even if I got a Dutch passport, I would still be an American citizen, and unless yeah. I renounced my American citizenship. And although sometimes I would be okay with that, I, I, uh -huh. I'm not I'm not there yet. I'm I, I don't think I can yeah. do it. I'd feel weird about it. Yeah. Now, do you guys ever travel back here or are you mostly? We have not since COVID, but yeah, we, we, we were like every year, year and a half, uh, we okay. would, we would visit last. Yeah. So the last time we were there was 2019 in the summer. It was great. Wow. That's so exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, should... it can be, but it's mostly just normal. <laughs> I mean, it's normal now to you, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's not normal to, you know, the other people who are like, oh my gosh, it's in Rotterdam. <laughs> you live in Europe. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's saying that. I don't know. I think so. I think so. Maybe. I don't know. Nobody said it to me. Well, well, I mean, I guess I guess you just did. Right, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it is it is pretty cool, you know? I I think it's pretty cool. It's also you know, like you can just get on a train and go to Spain. Yeah. <laughs> you do you guys like to do stuff like with kids? Can you still do things? Do you travel around Europe? We haven't done a bunch of uh, traveling in Europe, but I think we're we're ready to. We mostly travel around here. We uh, like, for instance, in a couple of weeks, we're going camping. On there's a, uh, a, a series of islands in the north of the Netherlands, and we're going to camp there. Nice. And it's beautiful. They have the best sunsets, and it's great. It's great. But we should probably branch out. Until COVID, our big trips were going to America. Yeah, well, that is definitely a big trip. You know, grandparents um, and stuff. Yeah. And that's so nice. But I mean, yeah, it's hard to travel with kids like from New York City to here can be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I've only really been to Italy because that's where our our office was for Brooks Brothers. Yeah. And I can imagine is, that was crazy. You must meet some pretty intense it, people. Yeah. Although Italians are very, I don't know what it is. 
I feel like they take kind of everything seriously because <laughs> even resting and eating and everything is kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems so laid back, but I, I feel like it's it's deeply ingrained. And But in business, yes, they can be a lot less chill. <laughs> There's no siestas in Milan. The first time I went to Italy was as a student on exchange in 2000. And okay. the first place I went was Milan. And I have never felt so American in my life be yeah. because I was in the Netherlands from January and I don't know, this must have been late April, early May. And the weather was great in Milan and the weather was awful in the Netherlands. I was like this tall, pasty, scruffy looking dude. <laughs> And having been wearing winter clothes all year, all of a sudden yeah. I was in this warm weather and I had cut off shorts and a crappy t-shirt <laughs> and I got off the train and I got off the train in Milan and I was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really insane there. <laughs> the level of dressage or yeah. your, your morning toilet, oh, man. whatever, I felt is very stupid. serious. <laughs> My father always, I have a very eclectic sense of style. And he would be like, how can you work in the fashion industry? You look like you got shot out of a cannon. <laughs> and I was like, thanks a lot, dad. <laughs> That's, I'm, I, might have to, but, I might have to adopt that, that phrase. Yeah, you really should. <laughs> you know, I'm always thinking about things and doing a million things at once. And, I, you know, there's a lot of energy around me. I get, I, I'm going to take it as that type of a concept. <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, I have some funny ideas about what, what I think looks nice and stuff. But um, my people at work were like, you have a very nice professional wardrobe. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks. I can, you know, pull it off for like maybe three or four days in a row. <laughs> then it just gets too um, hard. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, you got to do laundry and, you know, <laughs> you're on a steamy subway in New York. And, but yeah, Milan crazy place crazy town that's the one thing i miss about fashion is i got to meet people from so many places in the world and being from winston connecticut you have very limited um interaction with anyone it's true almost just like you right i know um, well even just moving to boston was just like yeah yeah and new york too Jim, it was so lovely. I mean, it's just so cool. I don't know. I'm such a snowflake, like, <sighs> lover of people. But, you know, everyone is so the same. Like, I would have my, like, Korean guys or my Chinese guys come in and, you know, they'd be staying in New York for part of the year and saying, like, how their crazy wives were making them move to a different neighborhood so they can get into a better school. I'm yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. hear you, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. they're like, Janelle, have you signed up for preschool yet? And they'd be like, you're really freaking me out, buddy, but... <laughs> <laughs> but why would I do that? Can't I just sign up when they're ready to go? <laughs> no, Jim, that would be not the right answer. I know. You know, it was so great. I met people, you know, from all over the world and got to talk to them and work super long hours with them. And it's just, it's, it was the, one of the best parts, I think, of working in fashion, you know, just getting to see other people's realities and where they lived and where they grew up and what was interesting and meaningful to them. And, and yeah, now I can pass hopefully some of that on to my students when I'm teaching, yep. you know, trying to get them into different books about different things and really kind of see what the power 
of reading can bring to you. So, you know, that's a humble little. <laughs> you know, it's always good to make a difference. Goal, right? I mean, hey. I, well, it's, it's pretty important. It, you know, even if you're not a reader reader, like if you don't yeah. like to read novels or anything, it's essential to, to read something just so you know it stuff. Is, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you know anything. So you know know anything. Unless in the future, everyone just watches YouTube for information. I mean, I can't even imagine (laughs) what the future is going to be like. Um, And perhaps the world is ending and I won't get to teach too many students. But... (laughs) Well, you never know. Everyone will be able to read and keep themselves busy during whatever's happening. (laughs) All right. I feel like we've talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, so much stuff. Are we done or do you want do you have something else you'd like to share? No, I think that's it. All right. I tried to be as concise as possible. And I didn't want to get too into the terminology and stuff about dyslexia, but certainly if you ever want to reach out to my sister, there's actually Orton Gillingham practitioners all over the world. Okay. There's a website for it. You could always look it up and see or look online for some of the ways that they teach. Like if you just need ideas for your daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some really cool stuff. We never suggest that you teach your own children (laughs) (laughs) because they're going to be like, no "No way, mom and dad. But it's an interesting thing definitely to look into. It was Um, so great talking to you. It was good talking to you as well. The last time I talked to you was at our weird high school reunion. Yeah, and the next tenure. one just got weirder. I think so. I didn't. I didn't go to the. I didn't go to the. Yeah. Uh, the next one. There was. I don't think we'll have another one. <laughs> no. no. What was it weird? I saw the pictures. I saw the pictures. Yes. And I was in it conversation was, with was. several people leading up to it. Are you going? Yeah. Are you going? <laughs> yeah. My God, it was really weird. But everyone seemed happy in the pictures. So who am yeah, I to say? I mean. You could be happy for, yeah, of course, for a few hours. Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to be happy for a few hours. It's true. If it's an awkward situation. But I think I could have made it work. I feel like people just kind of like glommed onto someone and ended up sitting with them for the night. (laughs) Don't leave me. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But it was kind of nice because it was, in some cases, it was like people that you wouldn't expect. So that was kind of fun. Right. But yeah. You know, I can't imagine another one. Maybe when we're like really old, like 75 or something. That would be awesome. We're all still here. I'm going to be. I'm going to live forever. Good. It's just going to be me and the cockroaches. Why not? Yeah. That's something to aspire to. We have lots of time to read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're good then. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you maybe another time. All right. Thanks all right. so much, Jim. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. That was Janelle. She says that British people get a kick out of her, but I liked talking to her too. And despite what some Dutch people think, I am not British. My GP thought I was German. Evidently, I sound like a German guy when I speak Dutch. (laughs) I really like Janelle's go-with-the-flow attitude, and it seems to serve her well. Evidently, Tyson Beckford agrees. Not that she needs his validation, but you know, he's like... As far as Orton Gillingham goes, it sounds like they have some pretty good ideas about teaching people how to read. It's a shame, though, that this sort of thing is not integrated into school systems everywhere. She wanted me to mention that financial aid and scholarships are available to fund lessons and courses, but like I mentioned during our talk, at least a third of my daughter's class has been officially diagnosed with some level or form of dyslexia. It's not like this is one or two kids. My estimate is based purely on anecdotal information, so it's not scientific, but as far as I can tell, dyslexia is more common than anyone seems to be willing to admit. 
Options like this should be available in all school systems, whether people can afford it or not. I mean, I acknowledge that it's better than when I was a kid or when my parents were kids. I guess it's like baby steps. At least this is available now to people with means or an awareness that it exists. I think that's kind of the thing, right? Like some people don't even know that programs like this exist. I never heard of it until I talked to Janelle. So yeah, if you know somebody who's having trouble with this sort of stuff, tell them about it. Anyway, I like that she talks about stimulating all the senses to forge new pathways in your brain. Because I'm a huge fan of brain pathways from like way back, way back. I also appreciate the idea of inclusion of review materials in each lesson. I see a huge psychological advantage to that approach. I mean, depending on what motivates you as a person, it could be very advantageous. Personally, I think that it would work very well with my kid. If you'd like more information, go to ortonacademy.org. There's a ton of information there and, uh, and a whole page full of resources. It sounds like they're doing good work. And so is Janelle. Thanks a lot for being on the show. I appreciate it. And hey, maybe I'll see you at this 70-year high school reunion. Go Yellow Jackets. I'd also like to take this time to thank you, dear listener. I appreciate your time. And I'd appreciate it even more if you'd spread the word and recommend Feel Free to Deviate to a Friend. Recommending the show is relatively painless, and it would make me very, very happy. You can also check Feel Free to Deviate out on Instagram and Facebook at Feel Free to Deviate. Or if you'd like to send me an email, please send it to mail at feelfreetodeviate.com. Coming up in two weeks might be Viva, might be Chris, might be Dawn. I don't know. I'm stockpiling episodes at the moment, so we'll see how it goes. Until then, enjoy whatever you're doing, do some summer stuff. Take a vacation, work, sleep, self-care, do all the stuff that you need to do. I'm going to do the stuff that I need to do, and you'll hear from me in a couple weeks. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.